0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. So yesterday, I started by trying to get you to put yourself in the, in the sandals of, say, Nathaniel, uh, Philip's brother, one of the apostles. Uh, and remember when Philip came to Nathaniel and said, Hey, we have found the one that the prophets wrote, wrote about. We found him. I started that way on purpose. We are so familiar with the New Testament, most Christians are, and we have certain conclusions we've come to, some accurate and right, some maybe not, (laughs) about the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills them. But what I want us to do as we continue to work our way through Isaiah 11 is try to really get in the in the heads of a Jew, what did they think the Messiah was going to be be like what What were they expecting to happen? Because I think it's it's helpful to to understand. First of all, it gives us a little bit of grace, maybe for them. You know, it's easy to just rip on the the Jews for missing it. Even the apostles, uh, on several occasions, Jesus has to rebuke them harshly. You think of the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, uh, he was the Pharisee. And he had a certain expectation of Judaism and what pleases the Lord and what the Messiah was going to be like. And Jesus did not measure up. He thought Jesus was a fraud, a sham, a charlatan. And then he meets the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And It changed everything. And if you remember, Paul went away for you know ten or twelve years and had to learn, relearn everything he thought he knew about the Old Testament because he had missed it. Well, I want us to go back and and see what was revealed there, which will help us to be a little more gracious toward the Jews of, of Jesus' day at least, maybe Not so much now, but in Jesus' day, uh, uh, because of what they were expecting versus what Jesus presented, and then secondly, it'll just it'll help us to kind of weed out the uh, the assumptions that we make and let the New Testament reveal fully what's really going on here. So that's that's why we're we're doing this, and uh, that's that's why I want to kind of go back to that mindset. So here is chapter eleven of Isaiah, and again, just just think about what they would have been hoping for as they read this in the in the generations after the exile chapter 11 verse 1 and following then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch will uh, from his roots will bear fruit so they would have they would have known this is going to be a descendant of Jesse like David was right he's going to bear fruit this one and look at the kind of person he's going to be the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He's going to have wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength. And remember, we we've continually stressed that counsel is military counsel. He's going to be wise when it comes to running a nation, right? This is not therapy, not that kind of counsel, but but the kind of counsel that helps you to uh, rule well. He's going to be strong. He's going to have the knowledge of the Lord. And we've talked about how that's a, an intimate relationship as well as information. And he's going to have the fear of the Lord. Unlike so many of the Jewish leaders who had no concern for pleasing Yahweh and obeying Yahweh, this one is going to have the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and it will cause him to delight in the fear of the Lord. He's going to love serving the Lord. It's going to be pleasing to him. And he will judge, but he won't judge based on what he sees and hears. He's not going to be pushed along by the popular vote. No, no. He's going to judge with righteousness. And this is good news for the poor. The poor are not going to be given special treatment simply because they're poor, but they're not going to be Given uh, maltreatment, they're not going to be treated poorly. They're not going to be treated uh, unfairly because they're poor. You know, it happens in in every society. Uh, the down and out. Um, it's easy for them to get the short end of the stick from the law, from the government, from judges, because they don't have any recourse. They they can't afford lawyers, and they don't have the 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 resources to uh, to make sure that they're protected. Well, that was especially true in uh, ancient days. Uh, the afflicted of the earth, the poor, they are going to receive justice and equity. Everyone will. This one, this judge is not going to come and make decisions based on um, feelings or sentiment or popular vote. No, what's right. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He will be a just judge. And that means If you're an evildoer, you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Uh, If you're wicked, he will slay you just with a word. So again, all things will be set right. All things will be as they should be when this one comes. No one is going to take advantage of anybody else because this judge will be righteous and he will he will do it, and that's going to bring uh, wonderful consequences for people. Uh, in fact, his very his very uniform, his his outfit, his his dress, whether it's his belt, uh, well, that is what he's the belt that that pulls up his. Uh, you know, they wore a tunic then, and when it was time for action, they would. They would pull up the, the, the tunic and put their belt around them to gird their loins, as the scripture says. Uh, so he's going to be ready for this, the belt about his waist and his loins, righteousness and faithfulness. He will, he will know what is right and he will do what is right. Just think for a moment. Think for a moment at your own experience in life. Think about our view of our government. Here, here in the U.S., we have a certain view of the government. I'm sure uh, no matter where you are in the world, you look at the government, the powers that be that rule your life, and it is so easy to find widespread injustice and in people who are not faithful to uphold the standards they claim to care about. Right? We, we see this every election cycle. Every single one. It doesn't matter. Both parties uh, here in the U.S., both sides of the aisle. It just seems like all of the people, almost without exception, they, they say whatever needs to be said to to get us to vote for them, and then they get in office, and almost nothing gets done. There are exceptions, thankfully. I think Clarence Thomas is uh, a man that we should be rejoicing in the Lord's goodness. And Alito, for instance, on the Supreme Court. And there are a few congressmen and women and and so on. But by and large, it seems like our politicians uh, just say whatever needs to be said, but they're not faithful to what they commit to on the uh, campaign trail. But this one who's coming... This one, he's righteous and he's faithful. Imagine the hope. Imagine the hope right now if we knew there was there was a, a, a king coming, a president, a, a leader coming to our nation who was going to be righteous and faithful and have the strength and the wisdom to actually get all that was done. If we had that kind of person, I'd be all for a kingdom, right? All for a dictator. If we knew for certain this dictator was going to be this kind of person, you know, let's get rid of uh, Republican democracy. Let's, let's bring on a dictator if he's this kind of person. Well, if, especially if you're an exiled Jew, enslaved for generations to know this kind of person was coming. Oh, the hope that it would f- fill in your hearts. And then this is going to be, be the fruit that he bears. The wolf will do- dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf, the young lion, the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. And the cow and the bear will graze and their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the wean child will put his hand on the vipers. den. again, we talked about this yesterday, but just to recap, all of nature, all of creation is going to be turned upside down. We're going to return to Eden. That's the image. That's what you'd be expecting. Uh, that, that These predators are no longer going to prey upon the weaker animals. But they're all going to just eat grass and straw. And little children are going to play with these wild beasts without fear. And the enmity between the snake and the offspring of women. No more enmity. Now, here's one of the things we run into as we look at all of this there's so much metaphor being described, being used here you know, this is the shoot of Jesse who's going to bear fruit well he's not actually going to be a shoot and he's not actually going to bear fruit like oranges and apples right so there's metaphor how much of this is metaphor even you know getting trying to set aside what we know about the new testament to this point just in general as we if you were a jew reading this uh, how much of this is metaphor What kind of peace is this talking? Is this truly talking about a restored creation and the curse being lifted where there's no animosity between humans and nature? It is certainly the image that is given to us. But it is interesting to think about the uh, fulfillment uh, from a Jewish perspective and then ultimately from a Christian perspective now that we know uh, who this shoot of Jesse is. And then just this glorious vision here in verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. On Mount Zion, God's mountain, Sinai, no more hurting and destruction. Why? For the earth, it goes beyond just Mount Zion. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Everyone, everywhere, right? As as just like the water fills the seas and covers the sea, so this intimate knowledge of and love for the Lord will fill the earth. Everyone, all over the place. So that's as far as we got yesterday. Let's pick up and continue this vision. This is the one. If you're Nathaniel, if if you're Philip's brother and he shows up and says, Hey, we have found the one that the prophets wrote of. This is what you'd have in your mind. This kind of vision. This great military leader, king, Lord, who brings peace, restoration, paradise, Eden, and all of that. Then in that day, what day? Seems like the day when when this uh, descendant of Jesse shows up. In that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Now, if you recall back in verse one, we highlighted this, but he was the shoot of Jesse, comes off the stump of Jesse, and now he's the root of Jesse. Jesse comes and is supported by the root. Isn't that interesting? We get uh, the whoever this is is both comes from Jesse and is the source of Jesse. If you were a Jew, reading this in the decades and centuries after Isaiah revealed it, this would be one of those places you would stop and scratch your head and say, what? Wait, is he the branch off the stump of Jesse, or is he the root that supports the stump of Jesse? very interesting. The nations, the nations, this word resort is really, it'd be better to say seek, the nations are going to seek this one who's related to Jesse. The vision is bigger than Israel, bigger than the Jews, the nations, and we've already seen this right in Isaiah um, 2 and 9. This one, he's going to stand as a signal for the peoples, plural, not just the Jews, the peoples. So the, the image there, the standard raising the signal, is, um, is a pole huge, tall pole that is put up in a high place. Think of a foothill or even a mountain that is big and has a a banner, a a flag, some kind of a symbol on it where you can see it from a a long distance away. And it's a rallying point, right? If you were were calling a if you think back to movies you've seen of ancient times, before we had all the communication devices we have now, where a, a standard, a flag, uh, and sometimes a you know a pillar of fire kind of thing, where where if you wanted to signal all the regions around to come to an assembly, uh, you would put something up high and big to see. That's the idea here. So, so this one who's coming, he himself, you see that he will stand. As a signal, as a banner, as a as a really tall tower or pole with a flag waving on it, for all the peoples to come. Similar to what we saw in uh, in chapter two, where the nations are going to stream to Zion as as the mountain and and the house of the Lord is they're lifted up right above all the others. Same kind of thing. Uh, they're all going to stream. They're going to they're going to rally around this one and his resting place, his resting place, the place where he rests, this one who's coming, he will take rest. And here the NAS says, he will. it will be glorious, but it's not glorious, the adjective, it's a noun, glory. Which is just interesting to think about. His resting place will be glory. Kind of like where he rests that's where glory will be. So the nations are going to stream to him to this 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 tower, this this pole, this flag. The people's are going to stream to that where he rests and it will be glory. Then it will happen on that day. See that repeated refrain, that day, that day, that day which sure sounds like a day, (laughs) doesn't it? And if you were a Jew, that's certainly what you'd think. On that day, when this one comes, the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand, the remnant of his people. Now, just interesting there. I alluded to this, I don't know, maybe Monday or Tuesday as we looked at... uh, Verses one and two and following. This this second time, literally, it's it's he will add to it again. So second time is a is a decent translation here. It makes you think about when is the first time. I can't help but think, and I know I'm, <laughs> I keep telling you not to think ahead in here. It's so hard, isn't it? Is the first time the the calling of the jews back to jerusalem under you know nehemiah and ezra when they rebuilt the temple but the messiah certainly did not appear in their day and, and there was no glory there there was no freedom there they were still enslaved for centuries from that point forward so is that the the first remnant being being rescued here, and then this is a vision of something after that. I don't know. I should I should stick to my principles. To try to just I don't know maybe, but it says on that day, the Lord's hand. Now the emphasis is on His hand. What He's going to do? We're going to see that again here in a few more verses. The Lord's hand is going to do something. What is it? Well, he's going to uh, recover. He's going to, to bring his people a second time, this remnant. And notice all the, the regions here. The ones who remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. This covers all four directions. Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, those are all kind of in the, in the south land from Jerusalem. Um uh, Shinar is uh, actually Assyrian Egypt, yeah, no, yeah, Shinar is east. Shinar is the uh the word, the old word for Babylon. So that's East. Hamath is up north. And then the coastlands, the islands of the sea, that would be toward the Mediterranean Sea. So that would be west of Jerusalem. So you got all four uh, corners of the earth, all four directions. Uh, he's going to recover. He's going to, a second time. His hand is going to bring the remnant uh, back from all four directions out of uh, uh, out of Jerusalem. Makes me think of another passage. I know this is going to introduce. A discussion that you're going to want to have, maybe. We've already covered this in another series, but let me just give you something to think about. If you remember from a previous series, uh, I, I tried to make the case that the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24, uh, that the majority of that discourse, if not all of it, was Jesus predicting the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., I don't believe that uh, Matthew 24 is predominantly about the second coming, but about the uh, the destruction of Israel, Jerusalem in 70 AD. And if you remember, I tried to make the point here that uh, verse 30 is, uh, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. We went back to Daniel 7, to see that the the Son of Man coming in the clouds there is not coming in the clouds his return, but that's his coming to the ancient of days to receive his kingdom, which occurred uh, at the ascension that time frame. That was the argument I made, and and again I'm not going to debate that with you now. If you have a different view, that's fine. But uh, just that that's what I see here, and then we have this. So he receives his kingdom. And he will send forth his angels, his messengers, with a great trumpet. A trumpet did the same thing as the um, as the signal or the standard did. It, they were used together a lot of times in the Old Testament. Uh, again, the 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 call, the the summons to rally. Right, they'd put up the the standard, the flag. They would they would sound a trumpet, and it's time to, to come together for an assembly of some sort. So that's the imagery here. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So it makes me wonder, is, uh, is, is Jesus describing a similar thing here to Isaiah chapter 11? He's going to recover the second time the remnant from all four corners of the earth. I realize not all the language is exactly the same there, but the imagery is similar. (laughs) Here I am, here I am telling you not to think about all the fulfillments, and yet it's just so hard, isn't it? It's hard not to think about how this is all fulfilled. Well, for the for the original Jews who don't know Jesus yet, for Nathaniel, uh, they would have been waiting for this one who's going to come, and on that day when he comes the Lord's hand is now going to pull the Jews from, from all four corners of the earth to him, right? So if you're Nathaniel and, and you realize this one, this Jesus, he's, he's the, the one that the prophets wrote about, then you're ready and you're waiting for him to now exert his strength and his wisdom and his power and conquer and judge and call God's people, called the Jews, uh, from all the different le- distant lands. Right, they've been in ex- exile. By the time Jesus shows up, they've been in exile for six hundred years, and now you'd be excited. He's gonna, he's gonna bring the people back to the nation. But again, it's not just for Israel, and he will lift up a standard for the nations. See that the nations. When we we read in the New Testament and the Jews were, they got upset with Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I have sheep of another fold or of other fold. I I have other people to get. And he talked repeatedly about the Gentiles and the Jews hated him for it. And he rebukes his disciples even. You should have understood this, this. I've come not just for you, but for the whole nation. They should have understood it because it's all over the Old Testament, especially Isaiah. It's right here. He will lift up a standard for the nations and assembled the banished ones of Israel. So we see both uh, nations and Israelites here. And he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. They're all going to rally to this one. Then we see more peace. The jealousy of Ephraim will depart and those who harass Judas will be cut off, or Judah, excuse me, will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. So those two kingdoms, the Northern and Southern kingdom that have been at odds now for a long time, they're going to come back in peace and harmony. They're going to be reconciled and no longer be um, jealous and angry toward each other. And they, Judah and Jerusalem and Israel, they will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the West. So they're going to be united and now they're going to conquer the Philistines on the west. Together they will plunder the sons of the east. Shinar, Babylon, right? They will possess Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. So again, put yourself as the first century Jew. Nathaniel. this is the Messiah, he's come. That means we're going to rise up and we're going to conquer the enemies on our, uh, on the west side and the, and plunder the sons uh, of the east, and we're going to take possession of Edom and Moab, and the sons of Ammon are going to be our slaves. All very military, domine- domineering kingdom expansion kind of language. So again remember when the disciples say to Jesus at one point, "Hey, would you would you like us to call down fire from heaven to, and destroy these wicked people?" Jesus rebukes them pretty harshly. You, you know, down boys, you, you don't you don't realize what spirit you're of. But we can give them a little bit of grace cuz this is what they're looking for. This is what they're expecting, a military leader. It would have been Shocking to the apostles. Shocking when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Because everything here in the predictions sure seems like this is a an earthly, military, typical kingdom. Right? He says, then the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. Some of your translations really water this word down, utterly destroyed. This is the word for the ban. If you're familiar with Joshua and uh, some some of the Pentateuch, God subjected some of the nations that were so vile, so wicked in his eyes, he subjected them to the haram haram uh, which is interestingly uh, a word that became harem for uh, for the king's entourage, for the king's women um, but it was the ban where they were so vile in god's sight that they were to be utterly destroyed man woman and child any nation that was that was set to this ban, God said, go in and show absolutely no mercy. You are to run them through with your swords with no pity whatsoever. Every male, every female, old men, old women, soldiers, laymen, babies. That's what it meant to be subject to the ban, to be utterly slaughtered absolutely no pity, no mercy. Well, here it says, the Lord will put to the ban. He will He will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. Well, what's the Sea of Egypt? I haven't seen anybody respond here yet today. I'm assuming uh, that the broadcast is working and <laughs> there's people here. What, what is the Sea of Egypt? It, it, it's the Red Sea, right? The Red Sea, the, the sea that the the Jews came right up against, and uh, they were stuck between the sea and the the Egyptians and Pharaoh, who uh, was on their tail to destroy them. And then God miraculously parted the Red Sea for them to to walk through. That's the Sea of Egypt here. Uh, God's going to put that that sea under the ban, which raises a question: What does that mean? doesn't seem like the sea is is really the concern. So what does it mean to, uh, something about Egypt here, right? Maybe Pharaoh, the, the enemy, the, the first great enemy of the Jews. Uh, God's going to destroy those who oppose his people. That's, that's kind of the imagery here. He will wave his hand over the river. And if you know your Bible, the river is the Euphrates River. So he's going to wave his hand over it, and with a scorching wind, he's going to strike it into seven streams, and men will walk dry shod. The, the word make here kind of connotes like he's going to force them. The word make is not actually in the Hebrew. Um, it just they're going, to, they're going to walk on dry ground here. So he's going to take this Euphrates River, which goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, it is the river in the Old Testament, and he's going to wave his hand over it and, and blow a scorching wind on it and smite it, and it's going to become seven streams uh, of dry ground that men can walk on. Seven. That's a uh, a number of completion or perfection throughout the Bible. So all this seems like it's it's metaphorical. So he's gonna he's going to utterly destroy with no mercy, uh, those that are opposed to uh to god's people and the egyptians here are the the model he's going to uh, take this river and and allow seven different ways to walk on the riverbed and there will be a highway from assyria for the remnant of his people who will be left just as there was for israel in the day that they came out of the land of egypt so we see again the tie-in here to to their enslavement to Egypt. He's going to free his people. But notice it's not just Israel. Israel here is used as the metaphor. Just as Israel came out of the land of Egypt, so the remnant of his people from all over, even from Assyria, they're going to have a highway. Seven ways to get back to Jerusalem. So again you can you can understand if you're Nathaniel if you're a first century uh, apostle disciple and you've heard that the Messiah has come then you're thinking world domination He's gonna he's gonna gird himself up with his military uh, uniform and he's going to lead us into battle to destroy to utterly wipe out uh, the enemies who would be the Romans right that's first and foremost Caesar's on the throne there so Jesus is gonna march down there to uh, to Rome and take out Caesar and then he's going to build up his kingdom in in Jerusalem. And all the nations are either going to be conquered by him or they're going to stream to Jerusalem and bow the knee to the Messiah when he comes. And the Jews are going to be restored to their land and all of the promises of the old covenant of, of prosperity and blessing and worldwide dominance, they're going to come to pass because the Messiah is here. That's what would be in your mind. As, as Jesus appears on the scene and you're convinced that he is the, uh, the coming one. Well, we know that's not the primary concern of Jesus when he shows up, is it? As we read the New Testament, as we see how he fulfills things, it's not the way it's portrayed here, which then forces us to evaluate, to reflect, to say, okay, what what are the fulfillment of these things? What is this going to look like? How does it play out? And one of the things that we will see tomorrow is that maybe the biggest thing the Jews got wrong is that they thought their greatest need and their greatest enemy were the Romans previous to that, the Babylonians or the Assyrians or way back to the Egyptians. you know These kings, these foreign nations that ruled over them, they thought that was their biggest threat, that they needed to be saved. They needed to be rescued from these foreign powers. And what Jesus showed them, and even what will be hinted at here in Isaiah chapter 12, is their greatest need was a much different threat. And for that, We'll have to come back tomorrow. Have a great day. Rejoice and be glad in this day the Lord has made. And until tomorrow, Lord's blessing upon you.